needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Welcome to Casual Trek, the Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and Prison Gun. Stuck in a prison and need a gun? Buy our handy kit and build your own. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn. I'm a writer and a legend for Five Rings fan. And I am Mars Reed Lobato. I am a writer, a lone wolf and cub fan, and a proud sponsor of Prison Gun. I'm not, I'm not just a sponsor, I'm also a buyer. Well, you never know when you'll need it. I live in a, I live in America. Let's um. Wow. Okay. Each episode, we watch stories from different Star Trek shows. We rank them on a big list of best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. And this episode, it's time to shout Kapla! Kapla! We're looking at Worf, one of the most prolific characters in all of Star Trek. Miles, why don't you explain to the audience why we're doing Worf? Okay, well, unfortunately, all jokes aside, um, recently a fellow Nerd and Tie member and good personal friend Celeste um, suffered a personal tragedy, and I was asked by Celeste's partner if we could consider doing an episode about Worf, because Worf and DS9 was Celeste's father, favorite Star Trek character and show. So this episode is dedicated to Greg, a guy I met once, but I spent a good chunk of that time in a chuck with him talking about rock gigs we've both gone to, and that's pretty awesome. Well, I believe that was a, the good deed of helping folks move that you mentioned episodes ago yep if, if you are a follower of, of the deep casual trek lore that was the time i generally did do, go and do a starfleet wow and yeah so this this is in memory of of greg and uh yeah we will scream to honor the dead uh probably off air admittedly because people don't need that in their ears no but you you're in brighton people scream to honor the dead all the time i mean they just scream Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure that's fine to leave. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. I walk past London Road every day. Uh, there is always someone screaming at something, often the road. And as a listener to the Silt Verses, I do wonder, are they going to manifest a god out of the road if they keep doing it? Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, before we go the- on. Um, the god of the viaduct oh dear yes um yeah the lobster faced god um it lives in the bins where people tip out their fag ash outside of every pub Uh, anyway before we go on what non-star trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke well yesterday i went to the cinema and i enjoyed the 50th anniversary rescreening of the Retley Exorcist. 
uh, directed by William Friedkin. And God, you've you've got some good cinema action going on around you with Star Trek before and now with this. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, they do. I get a lot of. Do you get a lot of the Fathom events in the UK? No idea no. what that is. Okay, it's like I think it's just like it's a company which do like do streaming screening events in cinemas across like America and Canada. So they do a lot of the um, the Riff Tracks live shows. They've done some anime. Um, they were the ones behind who did the Shin Ultraman and Shin Kamen Rider. I watched earlier this year. And because it's the fifth anniversary of the of the Exorcist, and there's a there's a new one coming out this month. What? There's what? a new Ex- there's a new Exorcist film coming out this month. It's called Believer. Um, I think it's try it's the same people who did the Halloween films. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jamie with Jamie Lee, and it looks like they're trying to do that, but with the Exorcist. Right. Um, so hopefully, I, I'm just saying, if we get the Exorcist kills and the Exorcist ends, and they're just as batshit as Halloween kills and Halloween ends, I would be a happy man. But it was quite funny because I was watching the trailer. I can't remember what film I was going to see, and every and it was about possession, which you know you get films about possession every so yeah. often, and it kept playing in what sounded like the first few bars of Tubular Bells, mm. and I was thinking. This is a bit on the nose. This this has to be a bit legally on the nose here. And it's like, the exorcist, believer. I'm like, oh, oh, no. Oh, okay. no, no. Um, That's okay. It can't be as batshit crazy as the exorcist 2, the heretic. Or exorcist 3, legion. Which, um... <sighs> Have you ever Not seen the exorcist? Man. Um... In my secondary school music class, actually. Um, wow, so that would have been like 97, 98. Because actually, I was talking about this with my parents because The Exorcist was a video nasty and banned in the UK oh. until the late 90s. This was, this was 93, 94. Uh, oh. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, Mr. Hater oh. was a good, one of those good teachers. Um, oh, oh, you. He, he showed us that in 2001. Because of the music. <laughs> Someone washed the boot. Someone broke the law. <laughs> oh, class. <laughs> oh, fine. that's brilliant. Like, like, um, I watched the film a few years ago for like the first mm. time in like since since the nineties re-release, and I think this time watching it on the big screen really brought across like the viscerality of the horror because admittedly when it comes to the exorcist and it comes to demon possession movies since i've never been someone of faith yeah I, a huge part of the horror does i don't think affects me because like it's just like yeah it's it's a demon it, this isn't real um but like when it comes to the more visceral horror scenes it was really good it really makes me miss um, realistic and naturalistic sh- uh, lighting and filming in Hollywood, because oh, God, God yeah. when you watch like a seventies film, when you watch it, when you watch a seventies film, you know you it looks like the world outside in all its gritty, grimy seventies glory. So yeah, um, that was the Exorcist. Nice. Um, Exorcist two. Exorcist two. 
uh, was written and directed by John Borman, who gave us a little piece of cinematic wonder called Zardoz. And oh. yeah. And then Exorcist 3 is okay, but it's one of those films which was really heavily messed about with in post-prod. Ah. So it's very... And it has Brad Dourif. Ooh, okay. There's and a guess what? He plays a moist serial killer. <laughs> His perfect role. Like, I, I really want to see him do, like, the Hugh Grant role in a, in a, like a charming rom-com. I want to see Brad Dourif do that. Oh, uh, I've been, I've started rewatching Deadwood, and he's so good in it. And he is, you know, slightly moist, but he's still mo- mostly just a good egg there. Oh! Yeah. The, the, oh, the rare, so such a joy. The, the rare non-villainous Brad Dourif cinematic role. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Deadwood's a fantastic show anyway, but, um, yeah, Brad Dourif just adds more to it. All right. So, Charlie... What non-Star Trek thing have you been watching since the last episode? Well, I was going to bring up a card game that's been in my thoughts a lot called Earthborn Rangers, but I've barely played it. Instead, yesterday, Emma and I watched a film by a little-known filmmaker. Um, it's uh, a Martin Scorsese? Oh, Ma- uh, Martin's, Mort- Martin Scorsese. Yeah, him. Oh, him. He, oh, he's the guy who keeps complaining about Marvel movies, so Twitter hates him. Oh, yeah, I, I hadn't seen whatever his MCU debut was. Obviously, I don't know who he is. Uh, I, I think he was um, Night Nurse. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, we watched Goodfellas. Oh. Which, it's been a while since I've seen Goodfellas. I used to have it on VHS back in the day. I have never seen Goodfellas. Um, I keep meaning to go back to my um, watching of all of Scorsese's films, which I I started, but then kind of life got in the way. I'm very wary of Goodfellas because it's like two, three hours. It's a long one. It's it's a couple hours, but it's a good one. And it's one of those things where you, you start watching a film and yeah, it's by a worthy filmmaker. And yeah, it's got all these people that are going to go on and do all sorts of like big films and they all look so young and a lot of them are just going to be sopranos actors and it's just a good film it's just like oh yeah this isn't like there's no sudden oh here's here's a take that's gonna revolutionize you know i'm gonna reappraise all of this in so no like yeah. it's, it's just a good film like the characters are shits because it's about the mafia yeah but that's that's that, that's, that's exactly fine. the subject matter you know there's a tiny christopher from sopranos um melfi plays uh ray liotta's uh wife in it oh, and ray liotta like does he have a really sinister laugh because every every time he does a laughing expression in this film either he's acting the most like awful you know, this is what a boy king would look like if he was torturing his his least favorite jester. Kind of a laughing expression, like a Joffrey Baratheon laughing face. And I've never seen Ray Liotta's laugh before, or at least never taken note of it. But I'm the next film I see with him in, I'm gonna have to pay attention. Like I think he was in 
in the name of a king colon a dungeon siege tale that timeless classic but i i forget what what he was like in that i i think he was in an ice age yeah that's going to be difficult to gauge what his face was like um but yeah yeah it's if you've not seen goodfellas i very much recommend goodfellas it's um like a lot of things ripped it off because of course they did like mm. the mafia video games pretty much wholesale ripped off massive chunks of it um the animaniacs of course had their good feathers kind of pigeons yeah bits and uh a lot of people cast joe pesci in basically exactly the role joe pesci played in this but yeah it it's just a just you know some some actors have a type and they do it well like vince like vincent price Mm. or joe pesci of all i always remember joe pesci from uh the Home Alone movies. Oh God, perfect casting there. Again. Oh yeah, and yeah, I think it's one of those things where Emma and I are watching and go, we really should see more more Scorsese movies. Right, we've seen a bunch, but it's just again, you feel like as much as I like a lot of modern films, that sense of geography and place, the fact that I... people aren't all like dehydrated buff guys. But you know, you got some doughy folks. You got some weird gangly folks. You know, we're both buff and dehydrated right now. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Um, okay. On terms of that, I do recommend *The King of Comedy*. If you mm. want to see De Niro play a sh- kind of a like a schlubby loser, yeah, it's real. It's really fun. It's weird to watch the King of Comedy and Taxi Driver almost back to back because yeah. he goes from he goes from schlubby nobody to Travis Bickle. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a, a brilliant, horrifying role. Yeah, uh, Shutter Island, fun, not great, I liked but it. it does have Leonardo DiCaprio, Machine Gun Nazis, and if that's mm. your criteria for what is a good film these days, then uh, there we go. Yeah, have at it. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess we better talk about Star Trek. We probably best had. So, Charlie. Yeah. What is your opinion on Mister Wolf? So, Mister Wolf is someone who I think I enjoy a lot more when I see him than if I'm idly thinking about him. Wolf often feels like Mister No Fun. We all know the the stereotype of oh yeah, he's just there to get beaten up by a big. A big villain, and he, he has course, a he has a TV trope named after him. Exactly, exactly, and of course he married Jazdia Dax, uh, a thing that we all can't do because she's fictional. Um, so obviously there's an amount of an amount of over ambivalence or general, you know, extremely low key negative feelings towards him. Yeah, but sometimes you watch an episode and go, okay, I get it. Okay, like he is. There are some friends of mine who, in role-playing groups, would always be the wharf. And you'd go like, oh, I don't know what to do with this as a GM. This isn't very interesting, but it's very, like, the backbone. You know, you kind of need some of those. It it gives you a dynamic. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, in tonight's offering, it's really interesting seeing what what he's done with him, both in his early days in TNG and his early days in Deep Space Nine. 
And I think I came away, especially with the DS9 episodes, with a lot more of an appreciation. And with the TNG one, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I, I feel sometimes he's the Klingon that is less fun. You know, you see Gowron, and he's he's a crazy motherfucker. He's just ludicrous. And there are so many Klingons where you go, these guys are drunk all the time. They are just having a fun time. Klingons generally are a race which go up to 11, whereas mm. Worf is always set at a very awkward number seven. Yeah. Like, he's like, while all the, all the, all the other Klingons are just kind of dancing around and getting into fights, Worf's that guy at a party, he's just standing in the corner with like a white wine, with like a white wine spritzer, trying really hard not to be seen. Yeah, it's it's like, given his upbringing, given how he was raised, he's read about Klingons in official texts, either from the Federation talking about them, or, you know, the Klingons trying to sound all, all serious and highfalutin about themselves. And he's not realised, oh, it's just chaos. Yeah. Like, these are like... You know, sometimes they can be dangerous Vikings. Other times they're cu- kind of cuddly metalheads. Yeah, like I really, I really enjoyed him in Picard, where he's mm. ne- where he's basically old man Zen Worf, and that was a that was also a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, I I'm always wary of those twenty year later sequel kind of things yeah. where characters are are just in stasis or. They're in stasis, but also their life has gone badly for these last few years, which is why you need a a kind of sequel series to pick it up and nothing's really changed. But actually going, yeah, Wolf, he he got into the intelligence department and he's kind of chilled, but still, you know, he can still do his violence. He's one of the weirder people to put in intelligence, given he'll show up and go, hello, I'm a spy. I'm go- I'm doing all of this. He's like the James Bond level of spy, which is a spy you would not have do any kind of espionage. Yeah. Because he'll quite literally cut someone's head off on a covert mission. Yeah, the spies work around this. Yeah, he's the big distraction for the actual spies to do the actual spy work done. But, you know, like, Worf, He's never been my favorite. He was never really my favorite character because, like you said, he's just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, for me, it was often the nerds. You know, it was LaForge and Data hanging out doing an engineering downstairs a bit rather than yeah. hanging around on the bridge firing the gun. Like, and, you know, when, once you see, like, the video kind of cut mashup of all the times when Worf suggests they attack and then immediately cuts the Picard going, no. No, let's not do that. See, you kind of want the Shax's best day sort of thing of going, Wolf, go on, go on, just this time for you. <laughs> Wolf wants to eject the warp core so badly. Oh God, he'd love it. <laughs> well, Wolf would just want to crash a shuttlecraft into another spaceship. I mean, don't we all? Yeah, kind of. Okay, so with that in mind, our first episode. Tonight is Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1, Episode 20, Heart of Glory, teleplay by Maurice Hurley, story by Maurice Hurley, Herbert Wright, and DC Fontana, 
and directed by Rob Bowman. It aired the 21st of March, 1988. And Charlie, oh why don't you tell us what songs were number one in both the US and the UK? I'm so sorry. The results, the results will surprise you. Um, the UK's number one hit was I Should Be So Lucky by Kylie Minogue. A, a classic, one which I'm sure all of you are hearing in your heads right now. And, yeah, even worse is... Don't... Say, Kylie's don't, don't, fine. But... Kylie's, Kylie's fine. Like, you know, it's, it's bright late 80s pop. Yeah, I kind of prefer later Kylie, but yeah, uh, it's all right. But yeah, the US, um, yeah. Ch- Ch- Charlie, mm. uh, just, so, just so you know, I, I, I'm never going to give you up. I, I try my best not to let you down, and I will try my best not to run around and uh, desert you. <laughs> yeah that's that's it yep. the u.s number one hit was rick astley with never gonna give you up oh my god i i saw these and was immediately like yeah i don't i don't need to listen to wolf rick rolled us that's what he did yeah yeah this is it for for my relative ambivalence about wolf this is what happens so yes so i am going to be providing a recap for this one Okay, mm. I have right, five minutes. Ready, set, engage. So, there's a battle going on in the neutral zone. That's not very neutral, is it? Uh, the Enterprise shows up and sees a lot of wreckage. Is it Romulans? Is it Frangi, who we're still trying to make sound like a credible threat at this point? Let's have a look and find out. Riker thinks it's a trap. Not that that's going to stop him. He just wants it to make him look like he's a harder person than he is. Uh, Data, Riker and LaForge beam down, and LaForge is testing a a weird transmitter from his visor that goes all the way up the ship. It's basically kind of freaky, and I can't imagine how anyone would live like this normally, but Picard says to himself quietly, now I'm beginning to understand him. There's a lot of dry ice in the wreck of the ship, and it's beginning to lose integrity transmissions get all rough as, as they close in on the warp core and Riker gets data to force the door open because he ain't doing the manual labor himself what's behind it it's Klingons Worf hears this and does a dramatic turn to camera I've realized I turning to camera doesn't really transmit on a podcast so I'm just going to carry on um there's only three survivors at the Klingons, and one of them, he's not looking so good. So much so, he's not even going to get a name. Um, or at least, I don't think he gets one. There's a fake-out where it looks like everyone didn't beam out in time and a ship exploded, but they did, of course. Picard and Worf head to sickbay to find out what's up with these Klingons. And apparently they entered the neutral zone by accident, fighting some Ferengi. Cough. Worf, like the audience has doubts about this. And the Klingons instead just boast about their battle. Uh, the two that are still with us are Chorus and Conmo, and they leave their mate in sickbay. Worf decides it's time to hang out with the lads, and they start mocking him for, you know, being a soft Federation boy. He gets angry, and they're chuffed about this. They love that there's still some actual Klingon going on in there. 
Where there isn't some Klingon going on is in the body of the unconscious one. He's taking a turn for the worse and dies. Uh, but as he passes away, Chorus and Conmel look into his eyes and give a big old scream. And Worf, feeling, looking a little awkward for a bit of a second there, joins in as well, because this is obviously the done thing. Uh, Conmel regrets that his mate didn't die in combat like he could have. And Worf is like, have you guys been battling anyone? And they quickly deflect and ask about his upbringing. Apparently he was found after a Romulan, Romulan attack on Kitima, where the Accords came from. And uh, yeah, they want to know about his fights and if he's worth joining the gang. As they kind of, they're kind of in need of a third now. And um, yeah, they're rebelling against the Klingon Empire as they feel they've gone a bit soft. It turns out that battle, right at the start of this recap, it was against their own people. What dicks. Somehow after this, they still get a lovely tour of the ship with Worf because he's booked it in and it'd let everyone down otherwise. Picard expresses some of his concerns about seeing Worf with the other Klingons because, you know, they've not spent much time with Worf, let alone Worf and other Klingons who everyone's still a bit, a bit on edge around. Data points out this is probably the first time outsiders have seen the Klingon death scream and explains that it's to warn the dead about the new arrival. The Klingon fuzz have shown up, and they want Chorus and Conmel to be turned over to them. Currently, they're getting a tour of the space around the battle bridge, which we all forgot after encounter at Farpoint. Uh, Tasha gets sent down to bring the lads in safely, and right at the worst moment, a child runs out of the turbo lift, in pretty much into Chorus's arms as a hostage. He lets her go, and the emergency's over. Off to jail with them. Tasha says, oh, I thought it was all going to kick off. And Worf mentions, actually, Klingons don't take hostages. Obviously. Picard tells Worf he's been ordered to hand the lads over. And we all know that means their death. Uh, Kenora of the Klingon filth calls and Worf chimes in going, look, could they be punished instead of killed? Maybe send them off to die like warriors. And Kenora gets it. It's sympathetic. But he's still got a job to do. And that involves executing these guys. The lads in jail, they build a really ugly gun using some DIY skills. They break out and a shootout ensues. The security guy dies, as does Conmel, which, you know, I guess he died how he wanted to go. Chorus, on the other hand, flees all the way to engineering. He says he's only going to speak to Worf and points his gun at the warp core. Worf comes down to see him and Chorus is like, hey, new best friend. Now we stand oh, the job. Oh, oh so oh. close. So close. Ah, well. Okay, while we're here, mm -hmm. was it me or did Conmel look a bit like Bill Bailey as a Klingon? Oh, I mean, I, I feel Bill Bailey's always Bill... had that Klingon vibe to him anyway. But yeah, yeah, more, more so than most. All right, okay. Now, bef okay, before the Klingon Popo come and take us away and execute it. I am starting to stop watch. You can finish off the recap now. Yeah, so Chorus and his new BFF in his mind. Uh, good old Mr. Wolf. Yeah, now they stand a chance. They could steal the battle bridge and use it to roam the galaxy. And Wolf is not down with this at all. Of course he's not. He draws his phaser, explains Klingons need to fight their fights inside, not outside. You know, do for fighting in your heart. And Chorus is like, oh, that's not the Klingon ways. Worf fires on him. And uh, 
Chorus falls dramatically through the glass by the warp core, down to the floor to his death. Worf screams a warning to the dead that, hey, you got a real one coming through. And Picard calls it in and Worf explains, don't worry, the lads died well. He gets a job offer for when he's done serving his time on the Enterprise. And he says he'll consider it. But after hanging up, he does tell Picard, don't worry, I was just being polite. I'm still one of you guys. And Picard's like, good, good. You know, the Enterprise wouldn't be the same without you. So, yeah, the end. One minute and 11 seconds. I'm trying to remember how they treated Worf in season one, aside from just another part of the furniture. But this felt more than the others. Like, we don't we don't know where we stand. Like, we've invited this Klingon on board. Does, do any of us actually know what he's like? Worf, I, I think until, like, Tasha dying mm. really gives Worf something. Like, Worf is always just kind of... He's there to get thrown about he's there to get punched he he's basically like what if what if red shirt had a name and a character bio yeah yeah you know didn't die when you flung him yeah yeah like um i remember injustice where he was there just to be kind of i i disapprove of this in a surly fashion and uh that was about it but here it does feel like that kind of We've made a truce with an enemy people, and we've not we've got one on board. We've not really thought it through. Like, does anyone know his birthday? Does anyone know what music he likes? Like, no one remembered to ask. And now I, I feel like the the genesis of Worf came about pretty late in production. Yeah. Um. Like, I think this the story is that David Gerald suggested that they have a crewman be a Klingon to show how times have changed between the the old show. And the new show. Oh, and, and it's great, a great thing to do. It's a, it's a great, it's a great thing, and it's you know, this like I think this sets up the template for Worf as a character, and then unfortunately, this is the template that nearly every Worf centric story is going to be, which is um, Worf essentially looking at the Klingons and going, "Man, you guys kind of suck." But <laughs> yeah, you're, well, my, you're um, my dudes, so I've got to stand by you. I heard an interview of Armin Shimmerman saying about the way that Ferengi were early in TNG, he felt was his fault. And he did a lot of work to try and remedy in DS9, especially when he found that a lot of other Ferengi actors were having to use him as a template and what he did. And that kind of oh god, they weren't supposed to be as much of a joke as I made them, kind yeah. of thing. And this feels a bit similar of, we see this in season one, and this is the plot. Like, when we see it more interacting with the Klingon Empire properly, rather than these, you know, uh, a couple of bad ones who popped along and went, oh, the Empire's not a real Klingon. Oh, you're not a real Klingon. All of that. Um it's it's interesting seeing a level of tentative acceptance, but it's still it's still very much this plot. Like most, like I think most until like we get the big Klingon politics stories later on TNG, like the Klingons were mostly just they were the baddie. Like yeah. you know, like that's their role in like um the movie, like the early films. You got like eventually we'll get to se- search for Spock mm. where um. Christopher Lloyd 
relishes playing the bad guy Klingon. So, yeah, I I think like we're we're seeing what's going to be picked up later, Mm. but it's it's still kind of weird because it's not been put into any real details. It's like, oh, the Klingons are our allies now. What that means is going to change. Like when you had the screen when it cuts to like the the Klingon captain who is very clearly having a sly smoke you know but you know between video calls because you can see the smoke coming from his cigarette down you know like below the screen and they've got like the federation badge and the klingon badge like mm. behind him and i think this is the only time we see it yeah it felt like that kind of he's one of those border patrol kind of you know, again, he's space filth, but for the Klingons, going, yeah. let's make sure no one's having a bit of a bust up, you know, um, that sort of thing. He, he's yeah. he's Klingon Dixon of Doc Green. Yeah, and, um, you know, good for him. Yeah, and it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a living. Yeah, I mean, even he was like, yeah, I feel this, you know, political correctness, not not butchering your enemies after a mild argument in a pub. It's gone a bit too far. But I, I get it. I, I, we have to do this, right? We have to respect them not being stabbed with a knife over a spilled pint. It's all right. Okay, so how many times when watching the, the episodes we've watched for today did the phrase make Kronos great again pop into your <laughs> mind? Because it was coming to my mind a lot. Oh, for this one, definitely. This, definitely. Oh, my word. Like these, these are these are like, red hat Klingons. They definitely are. These are like proper Kronos pilled. Like they are all all over Cl- that Cl- sort of thing. Kling pilled. Oh, that just sounds that sounds wrong. Bad. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, the other big thing that I noticed with this, I watched these episodes in reverse order. So Same. I saw Heart of Glory second because. It was the one I knew I needed to concentrate and write more detailed notes for. And going almost immediately from Way of the Warrior to this, my word wolf's makeup has changed. Yeah, I, I think it helps that Michael Dawn kind of probably start. I think starts definitely bulks up between seasons one and two. Oh, him him being a bit of a bigger, smaller guy by by where we see him in Way of the Warrior is it feels very much like he's filled out into Worf. Mm. But also, like, I heard, I think it was on one of the Discords I'm on. Or, no, it was on Blue Sky. Someone pointed out that apparently the forehead prosthetic went missing in after season one, the one that he uses here, where it feels like his forehead is a bit too big for the rest of his head. And I can only assume it was a Michael Dawn from the future traveling back in time <laughs> to lose it so lose. that he gets a much cooler looking forehead, but he will get yeah. later on. Because, um, yeah, it looks a bit awkward. Like, I, I think this is one of the better season one. Like, we've seen quite yeah. a few season one episodes of TNG. And I think this is definitely, they've started, they've started to kind of get what the show is and not just trying to rehash um, the original sh- the original track. Although I'm gonna I'm gonna say this mm. that prison gun. Oh my word! I loved it. <laughs> like I I was watching like I could literally see them trying not to break the prop. And I, I I think I texted <laughs> you while I was watching this, going, 
this makes the guns from Blake 7 look like fucking Star Wars. In, because like you've got the two little pieces, the clear little, the two little pieces of dowling wood, which they painted green to be like the barrel of the the sinister death yeah, gun. gun that shoots green. Yeah, yeah. and it's quite clearly, okay, you need to hold this in or else um, it's going to pop out and ruin the take. I love that gun. Like I, I've grown increasingly more thrilled about like not going hipster. Oh yes, I, I like seeing real sets and real props. Uh, give me the shit looking ones. Like I'm good with them oh, too. See, like honestly, watching classic Doctor Who, and I'm I'm talking about I'm still kind of I'm nearly at the end of the bloody sensorites. Okay, <sighs> the classic. That feels like it's taken a while. Yeah, it's boring. Um, yep. It's the, the the fun I love from Classic Who. And I think the thing that the, that the new show misses in trying to be more like, because, you know, in trying to be more big budget, this has to look big, this has to look good, we can't have Doctor Who look like a joke, is that it misses the theatrical camp of, we have like, we have some, we have a washing up liquid bottle and some sticky back plastic we're going to make a space empire out of this. And that's why I, I love when they're clearly having to work with what they've got. I think immersion is often something that is unnecessarily lent on. You know, watching mm. Goodfellas, there are some freeze frame moments. And there's a brilliant sequence where a camera goes through a bar and everyone's saying hi to, to the character, but it's to us, the camera as it very obviously dollies around the bar. And, you know, it's like um, listening to some arguments about tabletop RPGs and about people go, oh, no, if, you, if you're metagaming, you're ruining the experience. Like, actually, mate, it's still, it's still part of it. Like, oh, my God, I was tricked into thinking I was in the fiction. No, enjoy the fiction and the artifice. Enjoy the fake swooshy doors, the boxy gun. You know, the theatricality is part of the fiction and part of the fun. I'm all about verisimilitude. Mm. But also, I think something... Something not something not looking like a TV, like what we think real life in the future is going to be. Something just looking like a soundstage, which has been designed... Like, why does the Enterprise Bridge look like this? Yeah. It, looks, it looks cool. It looks high-tech. Like, okay... So we're going to give it carpeting. Yes, we're going to give it the best carpeting. Some nice wood paneling. It's nice wood paneling, you know. You know, it's just like, yeah, you you want to build something that looks good and looks and looks entertaining. Like Look, as long as they sell, basically it's that. It's sell me the fiction, lie to me convincingly, and I will believe this piece of shit will be a is an actual deadly Klingon gun. Like, do, do I do I think the warp core should be positioned that close to the people working in engineering? Um, no. Because there's gonna be a they probably have to have their sperm checked every couple of months to make sure that That's something's not gone wrong. Yeah, but like it looks cool, and yeah. it looks cool when um when it basically turns into a hostage situation with the Klingon pointing a gun 
at the like the ship's warp coin going don't te- don't don't screw with me man i'll do it i'll cut him i'll really <laughs> cut him and then wolf has to go up on the lift and then shoots him and the guy falls with- like that is the weakest fucking safety glass like it's people really are walking good. that and it just takes a guy falling on it to shatter it looks cool it looks cool but that yep. is an osha nightmare Oh my god, imagine if someone just hopped or jumped yeah. or anything what, like that. You'd what, go what, right if you like, what if you really needed to pee and were doing the thing where you're kind of hopping from one leg to the other because you really yeah. need to get the lift down, but Jordy's not moving and you crash through the the floor and piss yourself and also probably severe lacerations of, oh, I the bit at the end when... Worf is holding the guy and screaming and it does the extreme close out yeah. I couldn't help but think of the um, Mendoza from the Simpsons when it ever cuts <laughs> to a McBane movie like that is that pure 80s you hold the guy and scream like machismo cheese Miles yes have you ever held a guy and screamed <laughs> <laughs> no, I never got. No, I've never held a shotgun here and screamed and gone. Ah, <laughs> okay. I, I, <laughs> I, I just want to say I love at the end when the Klingon um captain asks if they died well, and Worf clearly lies because Worf didn't, Worf didn't want to say, "Yeah, I shot this guy point blank." Um, did he die well? He died like a mangy dog. In a mound of broken glass. Oh, the he died. Fan- he died fantastically. How did how the <laughs> other guy die? Oh, he got shot escaping arrest. Yeah, he made it maybe a, a foot or two out of his jail cell. So you know, less so for him. I'd he, give it. A, he did, give it a D, he, maybe. He tried. He gets a participation trophy, but like, not impressed. Oh, he could have done better. He gets to go to the mediocre Klingon Valhalla. <laughs> the, I just want to see the, the, the sports commentary. Oh, and he's made it. He's shot the guard. He's made the door. Oh, he got shot and he didn't make it. Oh, that's a bad hit. Star Trek fight scene is narrated by grandstand sports commentators. Oh, that'd be lovely. Right. So, Miles. Yes. Mmm. We have a big list of Star Trek shows and a couple of films, and it goes from best to worst, and we need to place this somewhere on that. Now, currently, we are up to 74 episodes. The number one spot is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which was just a joy. A very good fun time. We have, let's see... Around the halfway point, we've got the least dangerous game for lower decks. And um, right right down at the bottom, we have Strange New Worlds' Lift Us, where suffering cannot reach. I feel the Klingons would have dealt with that situation about the machine that kills a boy to make a city float a bit differently. Yeah. Not sure how the project killed the boy. I mean, problem solved, I guess. Bang, city's going to fall. You're not going to plug in any more boys. Job done. Let's go have drinks. So as far as where this goes, I've found just above the halfway point 
is our best rated TNG season one episode, which is Data Law, which similarly is something that feels kind of important to the future TNG canon. You know, law sticks around occasionally. And in this case, Klingon episodes where uh, Worf has to prove his worth and, you know, live that kind of, oh, I'm a being of two worlds sort of thing keeps coming back. So would you say this is better or worse than Data Law? I think it's better. Hmm. Like, I, I think it gets to the, the meat of the episode a lot quicker. Because it, it's quite obvious from, like, the first five minutes that, yeah, these Klingons are bad. It's not going to end well. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, it, Loris just kind of being a slight little bugger. And so he's like, all right, actually, I am in cahoots with the great crystalline entity. I mean, to be honest, he was he was a bit of a shit already. The crystalline entity thing won me back over. It's like, oh, fuck, yeah, you... You worship some kind of weird cosmic being. That's yeah, I'm down for that. But like you know, I I think Data Law has the one thing this episode doesn't have, which is a good someone's arm is on fire stunt. Yeah, yeah, that was that was impressive for season one Star Trek. No, no one, no one threatens Wesley with death this episode because Wesley's not here. So better or worse, you decide. And you wouldn't want him around Klingons. No, he'd, he'd do something awful and then get stabbed. He he would trip and fall through the safety glass. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Okay. Like, let's see. So above that, we have Genesis, the spider episode, which is a lot of fun. I I can admit it's not good, but it is fun. And Wolf definitely kills a guy. Again, See, which again. he did here. Yeah, but this one he did uh, knowingly. Yes. See, I am okay. I am actually looking at number thirty, which is TOS Errand of Mercy, Ooh. which was the very first introduction of the Klingons. Yeah. And I think that here these Klingons are still in that very kind of much more villainous role than they would later become in this show, but it's still this is the big this is the return of the Klingons. This is. This is the episode we're probably going to hold out for sweeps. Yep. Whatever sweeps means. I don't know. I just hear it referred to in American pop culture. I don't know what sweeps actually is. But, like, this is the episode you're going to kind of promote, hey, the Klingons are back, apart from that one guy who stands in the corner a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's inter- almost more interesting seeing the Klingons here as outliers rather than... This is just how Klingons are. Hmm. Um, Although it's not as homoerotic between Worf and Karras as it is no. between Kor and Kor's opinion of Kirk. That is true. Yeah. So I I might have to put this under, which is... Oh, oh no. Yeah. Like, that's... Oh, man. Yeah. I, but even I, we have our, our red and fair spaceship with... evil jeffrey combs robot with man i mean while we've yet to see whether that is a very a vital important part of the canon which i'm sure we all hope it will with an inevitable return of agamus 
yeah, it's it's a better episode, even if it is not necessarily a more important episode. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it's good, and I enjoyed it. Like, it's like I enjoyed this episode of television versus I really enjoyed Jeffrey Combs just being a just being slimy. Oh God, he's so good at it. Okay, so, yeah, so... I like we're. You know, we have to follow the conceits of the show in which mm-hmm. this is an object. This is the ultimate objective list. So, this is going to be. I'm going to take the hit, and I'm going to say that this is better than where pleasant fountains lie. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm down with that. Um. Yeah. As good as that episode is, this feels like it's some important moments for, uh, for our boy Wolf. And for Klingons, like what the state and, of Klingons is at this point, and the show, yeah, because like you yeah. know, the the thing we we always have to remember is that these that these shows are being these universes are being developed script by script. As, and I, as much as it's nice to think that everything is kind of this cohesive whole, it it's not. And so you know, this is a stepping stone. And how we're how we're going to treat and develop the Klingons to the point where they're going to be. So yeah, it's yeah, I I agree. I think one of the reasons I love television shows much like I love comics is that ongoing nature where creators are figuring it out on the fly and they're having to crib from other people's work. Mm. Um, so it's not just a single voice, single mind. You're having to figure out and play with all of these tools is kind of fascinating. Um, so yeah, so that makes it our new number 31, um, Heart of Glory. So next up, we have Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episodes 1 and 2. That's right. The rest of this episode of Casual Trek is all dedicated to a single story here, and it is way of the warrior it was written by ira stephen bear and robert hewitt wolf it was directed by james l conway and it aired on the 2nd of october 1995 uh the uk and us number one hits seems specifically targeted to torment me as when i was staying in manchester with my bff adam's aunt the younger of the aunts would constantly, endlessly play these specific two tracks all the time. While we were trying to read some Legionnaires comics we'd bought from 20p bins, while we were trying to come up with our own comic company, which I was a cool teen. I basically spent my teenage years trying to be a comic company modelled after the 90s Marvel, which we didn't realise was bankrupt or rapidly heading that way. Kind of financially um, bankrupt or morally bankrupt? I mean, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, the UK... Okay, all right. What? You can't leave me hanging. What was the name of your nascent comic company in the right. 90s? So, it is one, the most 90s, and two, one of the many reasons I am not a fan of Mr. Robert Liefeld, because we were going to be awesome comics. And then, then that fucker <laughs> picked awesome entertainment, and it's like it, it, bad enough that his his art has politely never been for me. 
but also that it's like oh you bastard oh see i i think you should call it you know i think it should have been too many teeth comics uh, or I mean, where's the spine so the uk number one hit was simply red with fairground which again i've heard so many times it's lodged in my brain and mariah carey's fantasy which again like with kylie there's some mariah carey but it's like yeah that's decent yeah and this also lodged endlessly in my brain so i didn't need to do any of the listening prior to this um and yeah hopefully one day weeks from now both will have left my brain again at least for a time anyway we're not here to talk about this are we uh this is we're not a, we're not a mariah carey podcast no no so miles i believe you're oh, so recapping you... this for us i and... am no so you you're not allowed to say awesome you're british i'm british but i worked in a comic shop and was around way too much american vowels speak so awesome and all of those kind of things are you way too much it's a word the colonials use and we shall not go there <sighs> okay well are you going to wow us with an awesome recap oh it'll be radical sweet so miles how long do you want for this given it's a two-parter <sighs> Um, oh, normally it's 10 minutes. It's we, we do 10 minutes for the films, so the films, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just gonna stick with that. That would be bitching, okay? That's hyper rad, dude. That's 10 4, good buddy, okay? Uh, yeah, well, hit it, okay, Sleezoids. We have Kieran Reese and um, Captain. Benjamin Sisko marching down a corridor. Benjamin looks different. Does he have a new tie? No, he shaved his head. He has now lost his, um, that lovely head of hair, and he's now full slaphead. Nice. Uh, he and Kira march into a room and start zapping everything in the room. They're on the hunt for something, and that hunt is a really nice throw pillow. Oh, no, wait, that's not a throw pillow. That's a changeling. It's turned for a burn. It's flying away to the promenade. The promenade is filled with security officers and also Bashir, and they're all armed with rifles. And Bashir takes point because Bashir always takes point. And he gets grabbed by, <gasps> it's a changeling. Oh, no, wait, it's Odo. Um, it turns out that this was all a drill. And it took them three hours to catch Odo, which Odo was like, not good enough. Uh, any one of my people are better than shapeshifting than me. If they would try, if they got on a station, they could cause so much damage. So the drills will continue until Odo's morale improves. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Cassidy Yates, who is Cisco's on again, off again girlfriend, who was introduced to him by his son Jake. Not in this episode. Um, yeah, they're just kind of chilling. Um, Cisco's got this really nice Jason is amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat kind of clothes going on. Uh, that was definitely awesome. And then he's called back up to the um to ops because oh wait, we've got some Klingon ships. They're on they're on maneuvers and um they're led by a General Martok who seems zesty and full of life. And it's not just one ship or two ships. It's quite a lot of ships. And so 
Deep Space Nine now has a Klingon problem, but also a new intro, which is not a problem, although I do kind of miss the um, the much more somber uh, tune from seasons one to three, although this one is a bit more nice and upbeat. We get to see the Defiant. Uh, the Klingons are kind of just going around and they're causing trouble by, you know, in their own imitable way. Uh, Martok meets Cisco and Kira and immediately pulls out a knife and then slices his hand open and uh, lets his blood drip on the table because we've established that changelings uh, don't bleed like regular solid people. And that's how, you know, it's kind of a The Thing style blood test. Um, and so he wants to make sure that everyone else is changelings. Not that Martok is going to be revealed to be a changeling next season. No. No. Uh, Kira and Cisco, you know, they, they slice their hands in their own, own way. For Kira, this is probably Tuesday. And it turns out that um, the Klingons are really up on protecting the Alpha Quadrant from the Dominion. And, you know, they, they're up to something, but we don't know what. Meanwhile, uh, the Klingons are harassing Morn, one of uh, Quark's regulars. And, you know, just kind, of getting, just kind of getting under everyone's skin. Meanwhile, Odo and Garrick are having lunch. Or breakfast, it's one of those ones. And um, Odo is showing off this new trick where he can shapeshift his hand into a coffee cup and then he can refill it and empty it at will because it's still part of his body. Um, this is violating the sacred code of the bottomless cup of coffee, dude. Um, I hope I hope you're paying Corkage for that because um, that'd be unfair to Quark otherwise. Oh, what am I saying? Corkage! Corkage! Yes! There we go! Yes! Awesome. So he's definitely not paying Quarkage. The Klingons antagonize Odo, and then Garrick kind of, you know, is snide to the Klingons. And then the Klingons meet Garrick in his tailor shop and beat him up, resulting in one of my favorite lines in the entirety of Star Trek, uh, when Bashir tells Garrick that they've broken three of his ribs, and Garrick simply responds, ah, but I let off several insults, which be which be very damaging to their egos. <laughs> which love a good snark line. The Klingons are also really occupied with something going on on Cardassia, but Cardassia has sealed the borders, and everyone is assuming it's because of fear of the Dominion. Cassidy Yates' ship um is attacked is attacked by Klingons who want to check her ship for changelings. The Defiant flies off so Cisco can protect his girlfriend. The the Klingon led by a um by a Captain Dyer is really trying to kind of push and push and and cisco's like nah bitch you're backing down and the klingon ship backs down and then martok kills him and sends his bloody knife to cisco as a present things things are a bit tense between the federation and the klingons and um so cisco goes what we need we need a guy we need a guy to get on the inside we need an inside guy so i'm gonna phone wharf who is who is like hanging out on this monastery planet after the Enterprise's destruction by Malcolm McDowell, and so he brings Worf on. Worf is still wearing his old TNG uniform, so he immediately sticks out. Um, O'Brien is happy to see him. O'Brien is introducing him to members of the cast. Dax immediately meets Worf and wants a slice of that Klingon, and that and that's fine. Um, Worf. Basically starts then doing a um, a reenactment of the game Shenmue, 
where he goes to different Klingons and asks questions and tries to get them to decipher the Chinese writing and asks them repeatedly for games of lucky hit. Wow. And he he finds out the horrible truth. The Klingons believe um have the Klingons have discovered that Cardassia has had a civilian uprising and democracy has been restored to the people and right. also Gold Ducat. Oh. Oh. oh, but Martok and the Klingon M and Garon believe that it's actually the, the Dominion have infiltrated with shapeshifters and just been, you know, doing, you know, kind of CIA shady black ops shit. Um, okay. you know, oh dear. Hmm. And Odo's like, right. Odo's like, yeah, this seems legit. This could be possible. Um, and the Klingons, so the Klingons are going to do what the Klingons are naturally inclined to do, which is, hell, if the Dominion have taken over the Cardassian Empire, we should take over the Cardassian Empire, and thus protecting the other quadrant, a plan with no drawbacks, except the fact um, there's all the drawbacks, because the Federation also keep all their stuff in the Alpha Quadrant, and the Federation yeah, generally... Yeah. The Federation don't tend to go in for such blatant regime change, for less than dubious um, reasons. Worf is feel is feeling that like a lot of Klingons have been upset that they've been at peace too long, and they want to return to the old ways and oh. make Kronos great again. Oh god! Not actually you. And then another Klingon ship turns up, and it's got this starry-eyed maniac on it. Is it Ernest Borgnine? No, it's Garon, who clearly looks like he's rabid and has mange. Yes! And probably, <laughs> and probably drools a lot. Um, Garon takes Worf on his ship and um, Worf is like, and, and Garon goes, hey, leave Starfleet. Come back to the Klingons. We're gonna shit kick all those Cardassians and it's gonna be awesome. And Worf's like, no. As, as much as I'm a fan of shit kicking I, I believe that, you know, there is a time and a place to shit kick, and this ain't it, bruh. And Garon's like, Wolf, you disappoint me. Go now. Because whatever's left, you will not be part of this. Via Garak's uh, contacts still in in uh, Cardassian space, Cisco is able to break the Federation, uh, is able to go be behind the Federation and let the Cardassians know that the Klingons are coming. And which is a violation of the peace accords with the Klingons, who have now just taken the Kitsmer Accords between of peace between the Federation and the Klingons, ripped them up, shot them in the bin. So the Klingons are on their way to being the big bads once again. Um, the the Cardassian Civilian Council leaves on a ship, and the Federation and um, everyone gets under defiant and books it for Cardassian space. To, to save a bunch of civilian, of hopefully democratically elected public civilian officials. Yay! And Gold Ducat. Boo! Oh. 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 I, either your time's up or Gold Ducat's trying to silence you right now. God damn it. Probably Sorry, both. friend of the show, Gold Ducat. But noted friend, Gold Ducat. Okay, well. Uh, good luck trying to get the rest of us in uh, before the Cardassians get you. Okay. The Defiant 
cloaks and flies off into Cardassian space, where they find the ship with the council on being attacked by a bunch of Klingons. Um, the Defiant decloaks and starts um, doing warning shots and just doing minor damage on the Klingon ship. But the Klingon ships, they're, they're not playing around. They're going to kill some Federation officers if they can help it. Um, shield The Cardassians lower the shields and everyone, they have to load the shields on the Defiant so they can get everyone beamed aboard from one ship to the other before it explodes. I played this mission in Wing Command. The escort, this is an escort mission. This sucks because Maniac never does what I order him to do. God damn it, Maniac. But enough about Wing Commander, one of my favorite game franchises of all time. Every, they get the Cardassians on board and Goldie Cut, and they're all blood screamed. Um, the Defiant warps away with a bunch of Federation ships behind goldie cart walks up on storms onto the bridge and at no point does he say thank you instead he complains that he's being escorted at gunpoint there was a great bit when bashir just does a season four bashir bit and tells just goldie cart just how just morally repel reprehensible he finds him good on you julian um dax is now going to get free dinner from cisco because she and cisco did a bet on whether or not Ducat would thank or complain first. They're trying to make it to DS9 before the the um the Fed, the Klingon ships following them can beat them to it. The Federation is just a short while away. They won't make it in time. More and more Federation Klingon more and more Klingon ships are arriving at DS9 ready for a shit kick fest. Uh, the Defiant makes it back. Ev everyone's evacuated. Um, everyone's getting ready for the big fight. Um, Odo's ready to tangle with some Klingons, even though Bashir points out all the, the Klingons are going to want to tangle with Odo. Odo's fine with this. Let him on. Um, it turns out that they've been upgrading the station, and so the DS9 unleashes a shit ton of photon torpedoes. Thousands of them. And so we get a big battle in space. Meanwhile, as the whole as the um the DS9 is holding their own, Klingons start beaming aboard, and everyone immediately starts going into some kung fu fighting and just starts beating off Klingons left, right, and center. Kira gets stabbed in the gut, but makes sure to take out the Klingon who who stabbed her because Kira Nerys is just that naturally badass. Hell yeah. Um, everyone's everyone's fighting the Klingons. The 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 DS9 crew are holding their own, but there's just too many Klingons. They keep beaming on board. They're not going to make it. It's going to be war of attrition. And then the Federation arrives. We're told about it, but we don't see them. And the Klingons just go, "Well, we're out of here. Um, we've done well. We've upset the status quo of the entire Alpha Quadrant." Okay, thanks. Bye. Worf is, you know, after the battle, Worf is thinking of quitting because, you know, once more he's been forced to choose between his people and his and his homeland, or rather his people and the fact and the affiliate, the and his uniform, and he's been forced to choose his uniform once again and kind of just doesn't want to do it for a fourth, fifth time at this point. So he wants to quit. Cisco admits to Wolf that he was thinking of quitting before coming to DS9, but he was able to find a new life for himself, and maybe maybe Wolf can too. And so Wolf joins the cast, and he now he's been upgraded to a red uniform in the new proper DS9 uniform fashion. 
and he's going to be the strategic officer for Deep Space Nine, who now have a bit of a Klingon problem, because while the Klingon Empire has let go of the home of the Cardassian homeworld, some of the colonies they occupied are still under Klingon control, and so the Klingons are the bad guys once again, as Garon has redisco- has rediscovered the way of the warrior. Ooh. Wow. Oh, I love Garon. That was four minutes and 44 seconds over. So, Garon. I know this is a Wolf episode, and <laughs> I have a Garon episode planned, but... Of, of course you do. Garon, what a joy. What an utter joy he was. He felt like half the time he was like a feral cat, and half the time he was like a drunk aunt at a wedding. Both the violence and the kind of, hey, my friend, no, fuck you all, kind of, he, oh. He, he kind of reminds me of, he reminds me of Vivian from The Young Ones. Yes. Only, le- only less psychotic. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was when he first appeared here. I did message you. Go, is he drunk already? <laughs> like he's been drinking this entire mission, hasn't he? And it it shows. And that was a joy to to watch. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. He Garon. It, he. That's. I don't know how much that is a makeup job or just he's one of the guy who plays Garon. Is just one of those actors who can make his eyes like consume seventy percent of his own head. Oh, they but it's are. quite impressive. It's really impressive. They're magnificent eyes. <laughs> like whenever you see that <laughs> mad stare, you know you're in for a good time. Oh yeah, I think like doing the show. And then, kind of, I, I think it was when we did House of Quark, mm. when we basically realized that Klingons are basically doing Shakespeare all the time. Yeah. I think that made me love them even more. Or just, I never really, like, they're, they're fun. Like, okay, they're a bit one note, which I, I feel as in terms of, like, as a writer, feels like, no, why would a race have a, just a singular monoculture? When I realized that they're all just this this race of gigantic fucking hams, like they're a race of they're a race of people who each one wants to be Brian Blessed, and I can I could admire that definitely, definitely. You said earlier about how um, Bill Bailey looks like Conmel from TNG, and I think he would do well with the Klingons. You know, um, I think he'd definitely be of a, a certain vibe with them, but you know. I- they're they're, shake, they're aggressive metalheads. Well, yeah. Look, you look at people like Christopher Lloyd, who we'll be seeing soon in a, one of the upcoming films. But um, yeah, again, perfect Shakespeare. Also, quite quite ludicrous. Uh, yeah, and also, if I remember, he has also very intense staring. Christopher Lloyd course. has perfect Klingon eyes, so it was great casting they got for him. Yeah. So. Getting it back on track slightly, Worf, I remember my brother and I, we we speak about Star Trek occasionally. He made the theme tune for this. And it, he Take and that cheese father, sick, babe. Yeah. He and my father saw a ton of this while they were staying together while I was in hospital for a time. They saw a load of the older Star Treks. And that's where, in a way, sometimes it feels like catching up with what they saw back in the day. Yeah, and he, he and I have spoken about Worf and gone like, yeah, he 
it felt like a bit of a vacuum compared to the wildness and the weirdness of a lot of the DS9 people and how it felt out of the blue with him and Jadzia. But as you said in the recap, actually, she's kind of down for a bit of wharf right at the start with this. And she and um, she and Kira are playing at like Arthurian mythology and the like on the hollow suites. So it is an awkward meeting. And that just makes it better. Yeah, I, like I, like they they definitely play up his relationship with O'Brien. Yeah, uh, you know because obviously O'Brien was on was also a, a TNG alumni. Oh, it's so nice seeing got... O'Brien showing a friend round. So, oh, oh yeah, like O'Brien showing his friend. Like O'Brien has a pint. Yes, like at one point, O'Brien has a has a proper pint in a proper pint mug, and I like to think that Colmini was like, "I, I will, I will have my hollow beer in nothing less than I will bring in my own pint glass <laughs> for orphaned." What he he and they're showing him darts. Yes, yeah, which again, he he is very much a straight man of of any of these kind of situations. It's like mm. whatever. With the darts, but in a way, Julian and and O'Brien both being able to go, come on, mate, look, yeah, you know, we'll track. I I have a friend who was a massive, massive trekkie, Ash, who he getting him out of that space, like he was very much the wharf in that respect, where um sometimes you drag him along to a thing and go, oh no, he is just standing quietly in the corner. And sometimes you drag him along and it, it'd be like, oh, oh, we've found the thing. We've found the thing he likes. And it was such a joy whenever you'd get that moment. And hmm. you get that kind of sense of like, okay, we'll frame it in words you you get, Worf. Yeah. With some of this. So, yeah, I, I'm curious to see more of more Worf episodes of DS9 after watching this. Because this was a good Worf dealing with Klingon bullshit episode and you know this is one of those rare joyous moments where um the ds9 showrunners get to make big sweeping changes because this was a show aiming for syndication which meant you kind of had to put everything back at the end of every episode yeah. and any changes like this you couldn't guarantee that you'd watch these episodes and the next episode with how channels would run. They'd been doing slow pieces here and there, but it's mm. still only been things that you, you know, if you miss an episode or you watch out of order, that you're not going to get too lost. Like, yeah. it's not, it's not like, it hasn't been, say, like a Babylon 5, when it hits like a point in seasons two and three, where every five episodes, there's been like a huge sweeping change to the status quo of the galaxy, mm. which then goes on to have like huge ramifications down the line. And, you know, this, this was, I think Voyager had, I think Voyager had started at this point, but this is after like TNG's, uh, TNG's done. Yeah. It's in movie territory. Yeah. So this is, done and referenced here as well. Yeah. So this, this is the big, this is now like the big show we're gonna go for it we're gonna go for like we're gonna go for a big drama we're gonna, everything in this episode is big in the way that the emissary is not 
Yeah. Like Emissary is very much more a character piece. And this really, I think, is relaunching DS9 into what DS9 is going to become from here on out, which is the big drama, the big war drama. Yeah, it's kind of event comic territory. Like, we yeah. get little moments, but we don't see a lot, a lot of them aside from our, our focal character here with Worf. That said, the introduction with Odo, that was a, a nice start. That was, that, was, that was great, when they're both like, okay, we're not going to be friends. The, um, like, Odo's training exercise was fascinating of seeing the, um, seeing him do basically a Red Dwarf polymorph kind of situation with it all. Uh, that was good fun. And, yeah, like, we, we started in media res again. Mm. With, with this one, we mentioned, an, I think, a couple episodes ago about how it was kind of refreshing getting a, oh, we're starting at the start of a drama. And for these two episodes, actually, like, the other one is, oh, we're at the neutral zone, a battle's taken place. Yeah. But it, it felt like we didn't need a slow build to that. And with this, no. we're right into, let's fuck around, let's do this. Um, so, yeah, that's been cool to see. Um, yeah. Like, also, it... the shape-shifting with the glass, I've been yeah. reading Brian K. Vaughan of, yes, Brian K. Vaughan of Lost Fames, uh, Mystique ongoing series recently. And there's a, a panel where she's showing off how she can make glasses and a fake vial and stuff like that with her shape-shifting powers. And yeah, that made me think of this scene here with uh, with Odo and the, the filling up glass trick. I, I have a question for you about Bashir, who I, I think is your least favorite DS9 character. Oh, oh. I talk a lot of trash about him. He is quite easily one of my absolute favorites. I love okay. Bashir. He is rubbish. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you feel about him? Like in this episode, where you you have the parts where he's starting to be, he's trying to be like the man of action in, in like the hunt, but then you get the point where he just talks back and talks down to Ducat. I like. We're a few seasons in, and while I've not seen episode by episode all of the build-up, him growing a bit of a spine with this, this far in, it makes sense for even a character like him, who can seem like a bit of a goof sometimes, would go, no, mate, like you've not paid respect for us saving you, you know? I know he has more serious tortured things and i think that's where my interest might drop a bit mm. um with him but um yeah i buy it yeah like i this is what i've seen a few times mm. because it's a two it's a two-parter there's a lot of action oh second bit of time we're going to mention babylon 5 in this episode oh god the the red-headed security officer on the defiant mm. who gets killed almost immediately is Patricia Tolman, who plays the telepath leader Alexander oh, shit. at several points through the sh through Babylon Five? She turns up in the pilot. Yep. She's dropped. Turns turn up, doesn't turn up until like late season two, and then becomes a full on cast regular by season four. Yeah, she was but great. She was. She was also a. She's also a, a, a. I think she's also a stunt woman. So she's done stunt work, and like she and she's done some bit bits. 
in TNG playing security officers. But here she gets to play that my favorite T like my favorite TNG DS9 era um side um side character, which is person who gets killed by a random console explosion. Oh man, they've got to stop loading those consoles with whatever they're packing them with. <laughs> It's it's an impressive feat to see, but how many people have died to exploding consoles? I I feel maybe some sort of every, needs to start. Every every year, six hundred Starfleet officers needlessly meet their deaths at the hands of exploding consoles, and with just your small donation to our Kofi fund, you too can help prevent needless console explosion deaths yeah um, yeah okay i i this is a bit of a tangent but it's still wharf related mm. how have we managed to get to this episode talking about wharf and at no point have mentioned the bromance between wharf and wolverine in the two star trek next generation x-men crossover both comic and tie-in novel so I've not. I've bought, but don't haven't actually read the novel yet. Um, but yeah, it's one day. Actually, one day we should cover all of those in one thing. But yeah, like you, you can see it. Like, of oh, course, yeah. these two would throw out. Like Wolf, who knows? Maybe he might let his guard down and have a beer or something with uh, with Logan. Yeah, you know, go fine. Okay, you know. I'll put the prune juice away. What the fuck's up with the prune juice, by the way? Um, I think Whoopi Goldberg introduces it to him in TNG. And when Whoopi Goldberg says, this is your drink, you say, yes, yes, miss. This but, is my well, drink I now. I guess no space mystic Whoopi Goldberg. If, if anyone tells me, I guess it's you. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, more than likely, um, it probably keeps Wolf regular. He looks like a he looks like a guy who needs a high fiber diet. Yes. So, Miles, I feel like this is one we're scrolling the fuck up the list for. Yeah. Like oh, it's good. It does. Have... Did what about the? Did you enjoy? I think this is one of our first proper. Like I think this is where Star Trek starts doing proper space battles. Like with ships, when we see ships moving, and not just a guy standing on a console going, "Yep, they've broken through the third defensive line again." They they're rallying, they're rallying. We can't afford to show it. Where this was, we're gonna have ships flying through space. We're gonna have the defiant wheel weaving and diving. We're gonna show shit explode. It's all right. I I have a confession to make. I'm, what? I'm not a massive space battles guy. It's oh, fine man. in Star Trek where it's like, Star Wars where it's like fighter planes in space, but here, you know, where it's for slow moving objects, never minded that. That's been fine. I've not gone, oh, I need these to whirl around and shoot everything. It was fine. I I like the drama more than I like the shooty. Mm. Um but yeah, it's it's a good thing like it's an an evolution that was going to happen and i'm pleased they did that rather than 
you know, suddenly make a galaxy class ship whirl around all dramatic like. Yeah, it's kind of annoying when they when they show a, a galaxy class starship just kind of fly around like momentum doesn't exist and you can do like a you can do a quick Yui mm-hmm. on like with like two seconds notice on a ship that bloody big. Hello Picard season three. Hmm. How you doing? Oh, we'll get back to you. Um <laughs> Anyway, on that note, are we like is this one that's going to break the top 10? I I have been thinking it. Yeah. I was looking at House of Quark originally and going that's that's in spot number 6. And I think this is probably better than House of Quark, which hmm. is, you know, I like high drinks and it's got some high drinks, it's got some Klingon bullshit. It's fine. It's good fun. You know, we had a, a real good time with it, but I think this might be a bit more important than, than Quark getting into a fiasco situation. This is big epic space opera. Yeah, yeah. Like this, like start, like Star Trek, like Star Trek is space opera, but it never goes kind of epic scale. It, yes. It never goes like it never goes. It never really goes fully Dune or Babylon Five. Where you've got where you're juggling the fates of countless of like races and empires and all different social stratas in between. I mean, discovery, got, like, discovery season two would like to argue that, but aside from that, like with those kind of red angel, oh my god, ev- or discovery season four, like there are way too many universe destroying things, which I think, yeah push discovery into being slightly less beloved by me uh compared to to other shows that didn't like i do that i think the most epic like tng gets i think there's like a klingon civil war kind of storyline thing but like the mo- i think like the like the most epic it gets is you know is when the borg come into play and the best of both worlds yeah, when Picard gets assimilated, but still you've got epic stakes, but it's still mostly focused on on the Enterprise. You're not having this big galaxy spanning like we're going on a rescue mission to save the politicians. We're coming back. We're gonna have a big battle. Like the the lines of conflict between the Federation and the Klingons will be redrawn, and nothing will ever be the same again. Charlie, Ooh. how many times have you heard that phrase in your life? Oh my god! So I'm a I'm a comic reader. I I've been a regular weekly comic reader since mid 1993. I have heard it so much I've become completely deadened. Okay, so one last question before we actually get back properly to the big list. Oh yeah. If Where the Warrior was a yearly like comic book event, who would have been the character who gets needlessly killed off? For pointless shock value. I mean, I think we'd get the fake out for, oh, is it going to be Kira? Because she's a good combatant. She's a person that would be good in this situation. So stabbing her would put them at, at bad, uh, like bad footing. I think, I think it probably would be Bashir. Like, yeah. It probably should be Bashir. Again, a character I love. Like, I'm a big fan of Alexander Siddig, and I do love Bashir, but I think it'd be one of those, oh no, the innocent one here. 
the naive, the naive child, the mooncalf, has died, and now the age of innocence is over. No, he he would he would be trying to save someone's life and then get stabbed in the back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like yeah. Like as a Klingon beams in, it's like, oh no, they're here! Oh, the, yeah. Realize I'm waving a, a knife around. That's a knife, a butter knife. Which no, no it's, oh, oh, no, it's got a, oh, it's got a point on it. I, 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 I it was smuggled it from Crete again around ninety, ninety two, ninety three. Um, it's completely dull as a blade, and I've found it's quite satisfying to fiddle with. And hold, oh. and luckily it can't cut anything because it's that's, rubbish. That's good. But it's got a little etching of oh, a little etching of Crete. Ooh, um, very nice. But yeah, I feel the Klingons would approve. Yeah. So so yeah, in like the the big comic book event, which is Way of the Warrior, Bush is getting a battle in the back. Almost certain. Like you couldn't really do Quark or Odo because they're no for like station boys. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe like, wrong. You know, Jeff Johns would probably if Jeff Johns were writing it, O'Brien would probably lose an arm. Definitely, definitely rip that sucker right out. Um, Wolf would save him because he's the new hotness. Uh, yeah, and he's a legacy but, character as well. But no, Jeff but Johns the thing is, if if Kira gets killed off. Then Worf replaces her spot in the team. Ooh, shit! There is that. Oh dear. It. Yeah. Anyway, and I. I, <laughs> I guess Cisco and Worf have to fight in the holodeck to see who's leader. At some point. Uh, yeah. At some point. <laughs> and and Worf and Cisco loses his you know his special ruby quartz glasses. Oh. And he throws the fight. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Cisco would have to still be in charge. Yeah. Okay. The new emboldened Cisco. So on that note, I feel I feel actually pretty confident in in my first instinct here of going. I think it's better than House of Quark, which yeah. I feel I feel in a way House of Quark's got away with a lot because <laughs> there are a lot of good episodes above and below it. It's possibly been a bit too favorably ranked, given it was one of the first actual episodes we ranked it is good it is a very good one but i think this is a better a better one than that yeah i I think cause and effect might be better because i love that time loop bullshit like cause and effect is a is a good is a good ss is a yeah it's weird good sf story like this is big portentous drama I kind of prefer the weird space bullshit. Yeah, because I, I think because like, we got like three episodes, we got three separate DS9 episodes, actually four. Oh my god. Because we've got Emissary number two, we've got The House of Quark, and we've got Trials and Tribulations. Yeah. And I definitely think with Way of the Warrior, we've covered would have covered all the bases of what makes DS9 mm. kind of work. Yeah. What, what makes it such a beloved show? Hang on, are you, are you saying Move Log Home isn't the reason? You can shove that Alan Moraine right up your ass. <laughs> oh, I, I still love that Lower Decks did that. I, I, I yep. choose to believe they did that just for us. Oh yes, and, and the cheese. Yes. Yeah. You, you do realise um, that the Moopsie episode 
of lower decks when we get to it will be in the top 10. Oh, it, it feels like because, it will be a top hit, yeah. <laughs> because uh, for, I don't know how well Moopsie has gone down in your household, but Moopsie has gone down very well uh, I'm in mine. I'm the only one that's made it this far through lower decks, but yeah, Moopsie, ah. I, I could see my partner is a massive, massive fan of Gengar. Um, oh, okay. Moopsie has yeah. a lot of that kind of energy. I when I, I was watching when I was watching it, like I had to stop when when Moopsie turned up. I was like, "Well, I know what Rihanna's favorite episode's gonna be," <laughs> <laughs> and I was right. Of course, yes. Moopsie, rightly so. Moop, Moopsie is a Moopsie is a small, adorable, psychotic Pokemon that waddles. Yes. All right. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it's our new number six. Nice. Wow. Uh, a, an incredibly quick figuring out and placement there. Um, yeah, that is fantastic. And a new entry in our top ten. Oh, that's something that's getting rarer and rarer, given we've got 76 whole episodes now on our list. And um, yeah, some interesting contenders. And definitely, for me, an interesting view of Worf, given we've not had much. I, I realized we did a Klingon episode of Casual Trek. We didn't really cover any We do any Worf, no. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we will return to Worf and to Klingons, of course, especially once I get my hour on the Gowron. <laughs> sort of. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that's what I called it in the sheet as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, so with that, uh, all we have to do is uh, play us out. So you can find us on the Nerd and Tide site, the Nerd and Tide Discord, and on Kofi, where you can always fund us a little bit of money and we will cover an episode, a theme, a character, whatever. We will build an episode of Casual Trek around it. And um, yeah, as far as me, you can find me at fakestales.com where I talk about indie RPGs and I am about to flood my channel with a bunch of things that I put in drafts where I completely forgot to publish them about all the RPGs I've read this year. So uh, I'm sorry to any people that follow me for not RPG content on that. Also, I'm at skyshark.itch.io for comics and RPG things, and Blue Sky as Skyshark. Um, yeah, and uh, what about you, Mars? Well, you can find me on Blue Sky at Miles... Hang on. On milesreadlobato.blueskye.social, you can follow our Casual Trek Blue Sky account at casualtrek.blueskye.social. You can find me on my blog at mareadlobato.wordpress.com. Um, yeah, that is me for that is me for right now. So next time we are actually doing another timely episode as uh it's going to be airing the day before halloween so we get to delve into one of my favorite genres with a little bit of horror Ooh. exactly yes 
So, um, yeah, with that in mind. Kapla. Kapla. Um, go do, like, good, honourable Klingon things. Uh, don't be like those jerks in the first one. Kapla and have a jelly baby. Yes. I, I assume it would be made with, like, blood or something for them. A blood, a blood wine. Oh, a blood wine jelly baby. Yeah, Nabby would more like a wine gum, I think. Yeah, yeah, blood, yeah, blood wine yeah. gum. There you yeah. go. Have a blood there wine go. gum. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.